Welcome back to Prodcast, the number one podcast for product teams. On this episode of our Why Products Fail series, I'll be joined by Mads Peterson. Mads is the director of Founder Institute in Bogota, Colombia, and VP of Product at Omnibank. Before Founder Institute in Omnibank, Mads was a serial entrepreneur. Mads came on to talk about his 2013 crypto startup, BitBrochure, the market opportunity the founding team saw, and ultimately why it failed. Let's get started. Hey, Mads, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mads, to kick things off, could you give the listeners an introduction of yourself, your background, and, and what you're doing today? Sure. So, my name is Mass. I'm originally from Denmark. I'm educated in London in international business administration. Um, but I think my real education was on the streets. I started my first company when I was 16, still in high school, baby-faced in, in Denmark. And since then, I've, I, haven't, I haven't stopped trying to, to create a, a cool company. I've done some, some stuff in medical technology, medical devices, uh, software, cryptocurrency, artificial intelligence. And uh, right now, I live in Colombia in Bogotá, Colombia, with my wife and my family, and I work in a big fintech company. We are across the world right now. We provide loans for for businesses, and uh, I run the product division here in Latin America for that fintech. That's pretty cool. That's That's got to be uh, quite a change going from uh, Denmark to Colombia. Yeah, well, I haven't lived in Denmark for, well, eight, nine years now. Moved out okay. in, uh, 2011, 2012, traveled a bit. Then I lived in London for a while, lived for a couple of months in, in Shanghai, and then finally moved wow. to, to Colombia four years ago. Yeah, I'm jealous. I've always wanted to uh, to work and live abroad for a little bit, so maybe I'll have to do that. Yeah, just, just pull the trigger. Just do it. Well, after COVID, right? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. That's a good thing. Cool. So back in, uh, in so, so you mentioned that you've you've started a lot of companies and you've been you've been at the entrepreneurial journey since since sixteen. Um, back in twenty thirteen, you co-founded a startup called Bitbrochure. Could could you share with the listeners what that company was about and what the inspiration was for that startup? Sure. So um, originally, uh, we founded a company. Me and, and and two friends from from business school. We, um, both of us started getting, all of us started getting quite interested in, in, in cryptocurrency. We had another classmate who was also founded in a, in a company in that, in that field. So after uh, I had bought some, some, a coin, it was only one coin for around uh, 40 bucks and, and sold a little bit later. And another friend of mine had bought as well some, some currency. We realized that we couldn't spend it anywhere. There were, it was like, yeah, it's just a, a, an investment in, in stocks, but but we we saw it more as an opportunity to to actually use it as a currency. So so the idea came about because we couldn't spend the, the currency that we had bought or the asset that we bought, and we figured how hard can it be to to put together an online store, um, scraping together all the uh, all the products on the web that you can buy for cryptocurrency. Very cool, and so I mean it was it was still pretty early days, right? I mean you you said you bought a Bitcoin for $40 and now it's like thousands of dollars. So like, how did you, like, what was the insight there? Did you just kind of see the future of crypto and, and think like this could be the next like Amazon for crypto or like what was the, our, I guess the, the market idea? Sure. Our, 
our classmate, Mark, he definitely saw the future and he's still seeing the future in it. Um, after him and my other friend explaining it to me a couple of times, I could also see the, the opportunity and the innovation uh, behind it. Um, of course, we were thinking, great, we could be the next Amazon. But I never really saw it as, as, as that big of an opportunity because on the way to becoming the next Amazon, Amazon could just start accepting cryptocurrency and then, and then you're kind of you know, screwed. So, so, so we could definitely go in and do something else. Uh, there are plenty of innovations to be made in, in e-commerce and shopping in general. So, so at least from, from my point of view, what I thought was really interesting um, was that you could for the first time really do like arbitrage on products. Um, meaning that if you want to buy an iPhone and you can buy it in two different currencies, given the current exchange rate, which currency is the best one to buy it in. You might be able to save a few percents or a few dollars by buying it in Litecoin or Dogecoin or whatever cryptocurrency that, that, that you could buy that product for. So for me, that was really the interesting part. And, and that was one of the last steps in a, in a multi-step plan to, to getting there. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. So, so after you and your friends who, who co-founded this decided to go for it, like how did the product development efforts go? Was it pretty smooth or, or did you hit any like snags along the way? We definitely hit some, some snags along the way. Um, initially, we had another friend in school whose family had a development house in Nepal, I think, and uh, we paid them $1,500 us dollars and a month and a half later we had our product um but one of the developers there got fired so he went and, and took a bunch of um passwords and domain access uh, for a bunch of the clients and uh, started messing with them and it took us about three three weeks four weeks before we got our our website back um, it wasn't a pretty web website. It did, it did the job. I think initially we had a couple of thousand products. Um, then through another friend, we, we, we brought on a CTO. None of us were technical founders, which was you know, a big problem. Um, and, but we got another, we got a technical guy on board who then re-ramped the website, uh, made it ready to, to begin scraping. So I think initially a lot of the focus that we had was like on the backend tech trying to grow the, the index, have more products, uh, be able to transact on those products, track, um, track uh, where people were on the website, rather than thinking that much about the experience. We wanted the experience to be as, as simple as possible. So at that point, I wasn't really well-versed in, in the world of, of, of product development and product management. Um, and, uh, and I think that was, that was definitely one of the things that, that we should have put more focus into and just building that much slower and, and getting much more customer feedback than, than what we did in the early days. Got it. So, so did you, did you put it in front of any customers during the development process or was it just kind of like, we have this vision for what we want to build and, and let's go tackle it and then take it to market. So the first two versions, we didn't put it, we didn't do any, any, any big investment uh, um, investigation. I mean, we didn't sit down uh, with groups of, of possible clients. Um, it was much more, let's just get it done, throw it out there on the web and see what sticks, see, see what happens. 
um, after the second version and still not feeling like we had the, the movement that we wanted to, we started uh, speaking more, more openly and, and inviting much more feedback than what we did before. Got it. So, so what happened when you launched? Uh, there was a couple versions. What was the market response initially and, and what was the feedback you got after you started soliciting more feedback? So, so initially we did a lot of um, uh, homemade SEO and social media uh, aggression, you could call it. We're just trying to get it out there and uh, figuring out how to, how to get the word out there. And, it, and as soon as we launched the first version um, the company that, that we had hired to build it, who was also hosting it, they, they, they called me immediately and said, we think, we think something is wrong with the servers. Um, and initially they told me that, that, that it felt like there had been too much, um, too much uh, traffic on the site. But then it turns out that, that the anomaly was that there, were, there was no traffic at all. Um, so, so that was like the first slap in the face. Um, Second, uh, after the after we started uh, getting more feedback directly from from the users, um, we could sort of identify, or at least I tried to identify as specific changes as possible. Saying, okay, well, they don't like this, they don't like that, they don't like this color. So, so trying to be very very specific in the changes that we did. We didn't do any A/B testing in the beginning. Um, but, but that's, you know, also something that you learn, I guess. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that was like the, the main things that, that, that we did differently. Um, we, we really tried to look at, at benchmarks in the market and say, okay, well, well, Amazon is doing this. Let's, let's, let's copy that. They're doing that really well. Um, there are some of the, some of the online, uh, uh, supermarkets, Tesco in the UK, um, what was a good example as well? They had had a pretty strong online store as well, so so we were looking into to how they were doing it um, and, and and trying to to align ourselves with with the best practices that we could see in the market. Gotcha. So so did it turn out to be kind of like a, a UX problem where it, it wasn't like understandable or usable, or was it like a demand problem or a little bit of both? I think it was both. I think a, a big part of it was definitely that that it was very early days and still today people don't really spend their, their, especially their Bitcoin. Um, it's much more considered a, a store value rather than, rather than a currency that you, that you should spend and use, you know, there's a, a yearly uh, Bitcoin pizza day because there was a guy who spent what, $10 million on a, on two pizzas um, because the currency was worth nothing and he bought pizza for it. And today that amount of, of, of currency would have, would be about ten million dollars. So, so I think most people didn't really want to spend it. So the few people that were in cryptocurrency, which you know, a couple of thousand, fifty thousand people maybe worldwide, it was a very small percentage of them that wanted to use their their cryptocurrency on products. Um, so, so that was definitely a, a mistake in in the in the idea to begin with. Um, secondly it wasn't a pretty site. I, we might be able to find it on the Wayback Machine um, and, and, and see how it, how it looked. It, it wasn't a pretty site and, um, and the shopping experience wasn't, wasn't as, as it should have been um, or you know, as, as best practices are today. Um, but you can, you can always look back on, on those things and, and say that. Um, I think definitely demand was, was the biggest thing, that it was such a niche 
and then in inside of that niche people really didn't want to do that it's like you know you, you can find any niche and, and if if your niche is is specific enough then there's only one person who likes it and that's you got it and, and so like you hear about steve jobs and apple and how um you know the, the henry ford comparison to to steve jobs where like henry ford had the car and if you'd ask consumers what they wanted they'd ask for a faster horse and with the iphone it was like you know we'd want a better blackberry or something they wouldn't have asked for a touchscreen so how did you like decide between whether or not this was one of those like car and iphone things versus something that, that you should quit right like how did how did sure. you make that differentiation so so we had a hard time raising capital and i think if we had raised capital and and put uh, a team uh, of a f you know a very product focused team, um, we might have come up with something uh, really interesting. Because I I still think eventually that there's going to be a market for for spending cryptocurrencies on 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 real things. Like the the further we make it into the future, we see more and more adaptations of of people using cryptocurrency. Um, right now you can pay taxes in Germany on with your Bitcoin. So, so I think eventually it's going to be easier right now. I see two things where it might have gone in the end. Um, maybe it, it would have become a, uh, an extension similar to honey. You could say that basically install the extension and then any shopping site, you can buy that, that product with, with a cryptocurrency. And then you can compare them based on, on, on all the cryptocurrencies in the world. So which currency should you buy it, buy it for? Eventually, that could also have turned into just one bucket of cryptocurrencies. So you just buy our crypto, and then we can convert that into whatever other crypto to buy your product in the end. Um, but you know, it's, it's so many iterations into the future that it's, it's really hard to say. And whether, whether people are too stupid to realize that they need it, or it is too early, or it's a bad idea. The only time will will tell that. I think there are a bunch of things that you know could have turned out differently. The guy who is who who named the Ponzi scheme, his first startup was the Yellow Pages, and nobody wanted it. And in the event, he he went bankrupt, and that's why he started the Ponzi scheme because he needed you know to get the money flowing. And then he just ran the Ponzi scheme in the end and got thrown in jail. And that's why we call it a Ponzi scheme because of a guy named Ponzi. But he had a legitimate idea that was maybe too early. Maybe he wasn't good at not a, enough at selling it. Maybe he was in the wrong place, the wrong time. Maybe timing is such a, such a big part of, of starting companies. Um, I have other startup ideas that, that I think, that I, I don't understand why it doesn't exist in the world. And maybe someone who is crazy enough uh, like me needs to go out and try it to figure out why that, that idea doesn't exist. And maybe I'll never know because maybe it will always just be because I cannot get the idea to the point where it needs to be, or maybe I'll launch it too early or too late, or it's, it's a lot of ifs and it's very difficult to say that specifically, but it's, it's, uh, it's a fun question because it's so hard. Absolutely. And I think that's what makes the idea of, of starting a startup or even being a product manager inside of a company become so compelling, right? Is that there's, there's so many unknowns that, 
to tackle that it's it's a challenge that'll never end and and to a lot of people that's pretty enticing yeah yeah definitely cool so for someone who's listening today whether they're a startup founder trying to get a new product to market or a product manager trying to figure out what new feature a new product they should be launching inside of their company what what's one piece of advice that you would give them uh, for early in that development process um be as close as possible to the to the end users you often I think some of the biggest mistakes that I also see now and that I see with, with, with entrepreneurs in, in general, um, just to, to mention this, this as well, I advise a lot of startups and, and help a lot of startups raise funds and, and build their first products. Um, I, one of the, some of the mistakes that they make in the beginning is that they're either too far away from their, from their end users or they're way too close. If they try to pivot way too much towards you know, a faster horse, or a BlackBerry with a bigger screen, um, then then they'll end up making a product that nobody wants. Um, if they're too far away, then they'll end up doing like I did in the beginning is, is you know, just building it and throwing it out there to see what happens. But you need to find some sort of a sweet spot. And at least for me right now, I've, I've had a lot of success at, with when, I, when we do user testing early on is to show them a third or a fourth of what the idea is and test a very specific part of the idea. Instead of testing the whole whole thing, I can test a small part of it. Um, will you spend your cryptocurrency on physical products? That's, that's something that you should test out. Do you want to do that from a, from a phone or from, from a website? Yeah. Do you have more than one cryptocurrency? There's a bunch of things that we can test. And if I test all of them, at once, either the person or the, 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 the user might, might be overwhelmed or, or he, will, he will be focusing too much on, on, on aligning himself with your idea in a sense. So if I tell them exactly what my idea is, exactly what I want to do in the end, if they... Um, if, if they see that, sometimes they, they, they only think about that idea and they can't get their eyes off for just a little part of it. And sometimes they, they, they close off or they, or they do the opposite and they just, yes, people. At least that's, that's something that I've realized over the last year or so. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so Mads, um, do you have any, any books that you would recommend that, that have been kind of inspirational or useful over the years um, that you would recommend for the listeners? Oh yes, definitely. Um, there's one that I, that I recommend to a lot of people. It's, um, it's very focused on hardware, but, but the, what you can learn from the book and from that, from the experience of, of the writer is so much more. His name is uh, Martin Dawes and the book is called wake up and sell the coffee. Uh, great book. Um, it, it shows the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of being an entrepreneur, of iterating on a product and going all in, uh, almost not knowing when to quit. Um, and, and he's a, he's a really interesting guy. Um, I met him uh, a few years ago and, and that book has definitely been a, a huge, huge uh, help for me. And I go back to it often because every single chapter has like a list of, of things that he learned at the end of the chapter saying, well, I learned not to do this. I learned to do this. Never forget that. 
Um, so, so it's a, it's, it's a really good book. I definitely recommend that. Awesome. I'll put a, a I'm guessing it's on Amazon, right? So I could probably yep. put a, a link in the show notes. Okay, cool. Cool. Well, Mads, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing the story of a bit brochure and, and kind of where, where things didn't go right and some of the things that um, you would advise to others who are kind of in that same boat of starting something or, or building something new. So thank you. For sure. My pleasure. And uh, to anybody listening, you're, you're welcome to, to reach out via, via LinkedIn or, or something like that. Um, I, I enjoy helping other people who have, who have struggled or are struggling with their, with their startups or products or businesses or whatever it is. I've, I've been through the mill. So, so I know how hard it can be. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you, you've given me some great advice uh, on other calls. So uh, Matt is definitely a great resource to, to take up on that. So thank you for offering. My pleasure. That was Mads Peterson, Director of Founder Institute and VP of Product at OmniBank. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Thank you for joining me today, and I'll see you next week right here on Podcast.